Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Julie Keel, and with me today is Sci-Fi Tech Talk's first guest, Mike McPeak. Welcome, Mike. Can you tell us well, just a little about yourself? Yeah, um, you know, I guess um, my interest in you know sci-fi has gone way back uh, when I was a kid. I grew up on the plains of South Dakota, and we didn't have a lot of interesting. We had like two TV channels, three if the wind was from the right direction. Um, you know, there wasn't the internet; there wasn't a lot to do. So we did have a bunch of old books on the back uh, staircase, and some of them were science fiction books. A lot of old. Um, um, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs books, and you know, you start read them, and I got an overactive imagination. Anyway, so you read these, and then you know, pretty start, pretty soon you start thinking, you know, this stuff is pretty cool. It's pretty interesting, and yeah. So I've always had this kind of, and then Star Trek came along, and you know, and everything, and so I've always had this kind of love and fascination of uh, science fiction. And um, I know one time, uh, or when uh, Allison Sheridan had her um, um, Google Hangout from. Uh, uh, Macworld this year, I got to you know, actually talk to Rod Roddenberry for a minute, and I told him, I want my Star Trek future, and I want it now. And so I've always had this love of, of tech. And Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I'll just, you know, a nod of the cap to Star Trek. It seems like all roads lead back to Star Trek when you talk about uh, sci-fi. Um, so I, I do think they have uh, set the standard, and as actually one of the reasons that I decided to start this uh, podcast, because uh, it, uh, Star Trek's a great example of where uh, the the technology that was envisioned in that show, you know, gosh, what the heck is it now? We're, we're getting close to 50 years ago, uh, 45, something like that. Um, a lot of it's come true. I mean, we have it. Matter of fact, we have things that are even more advanced than what was shown there. So that's where the the, tech, the interest in the technology that's shown in star in in science fiction um, generated for me. And you, as guest, got to pick the topic for this week. And my gosh, did you hit it bang on! You decided to go with Max Headroom which is something that I was, you know, somewhat familiar with, but had totally forgotten about and would have never come up with on my own. And man, did it hit the purpose of this podcast right on the head. Um, There's some links on uh, YouTube, and I, at least myself, watched the, uh, I believe it was the pilot episode, you know, uh, the first episode of, of Max Headroom. And it was a, the description out on YouTube says, uh, 20 minutes or 20 years into the future, take your pick for this classic, prophetic, and very cool series from 1987. Remember that. This is 1987. Uh, Max Headroom, get pretty dead-on look of the world of our present and probably near future, but from 20 years ago. I, Mike, did you have a description of what actually happens in this first episode? Well, the first episode, um, yeah, it's you know it establishes the whole um, the the show. So yeah, you have Edison Carter, the intrepid uh, uh, news reporter for Channel Twenty Three, uh, you know, digging a uh, network Twenty Three, going after a story, and it's about um, uh, the, they're using these thing called uh, blipverts. They uh, obviously television networks make money uh, by having more people watch them, but they've realized that. 
people were tuning out when they got to uh, uh, commercials. So they decided to do these blip words, which is 30 seconds of commercials crammed into three seconds. Well, the slight downside from that was that some people would literally explode from watching these blip words. And, you know, they kind of count, uh, just wrote it off as a cost of doing business or whatever because their rating, the only thing that mattered was make sure your ratings go up. Well, collateral damage in advertising. Yes, basically. <laughs> and so Edison Carter starts to investigate this story, and in the process of doing the investigation, he gets to an accident and, it, and uh, is unconscious. So they want to know what he knows. So they basically do a mind dump of his head into a computer that uh, the, um, the geeky little uh, genius at uh, Network 23 uh, that they have, and he put it in there, and pretty soon he comes a, uh, a sentient, uh, uh, or sentient, uh, yeah. Sentient, yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, being, and, you know, it becomes a life form of his own, and he becomes Max Headroom. Right. And, you know, and from there it kind of plays off of, uh, you know, uh, the, the Max Headroom character just who lives inside a computer and can access the network. And that's kind of one of the key points here is the, is the network. Because like you were saying, when you look 20 years into the future, and you made the point, 1987, um, because I, I looked here once, or I looked it up, and the Internet as a commercial entity didn't start until 1992. Yeah, yes, yeah, so, uh, Delphi, the first uh, national commercial online service, uh, started in uh, July 1992. So they were basically six or seven years ahead of the actual consumer Internet. But they were talking about networking and yeah, and you know, for a, a geek like me, because uh, I started out in like you know 1980 with my little Tandy color computer, and I you know wanted to grow from there. Having a TV show where they actually talked about computers and watching all this stuff, and it was I don't maybe one of the first where they actually you know about hacking into computers and this kind of stuff, even before you knew what hacking was oh. about. Honestly, every time I think about, after watching this, and like I say, Max Headroom had completely escaped my consciousness. I mean, just, you know, it, it just would never have, have cropped up until you mentioned it. But looking at this, it's like, oh my God, they mm -hmm. had, they nailed everything, including the, the net, which you failed to mention, you said little um, hacker that the network had running this thing that downloaded, um, you know, Ed, what's his name now? I've forgotten. Carter's. Um, Edison, Carter. Edison. Edison. I want to say Edward. Edison Carter's um, um, mind um, was a kid, a little mm -hmm. snot nosed kid, you know? Your, your atypical geek, the glasses. Yes. And, the whole, and you just kind of talk like this. And right. You know. And the whole attitude thing about it's not my problem. I'm just a hacker. You guys have to deal with collateral damage. And the, you know, I mean, that whole thing is like, oh my God, that cannot have existed like that, you know, at that time. Um, you know, some of it did. I mean, there there were... Uh, well, you always had your kind of geeks and nerds that you always, they wrapped the tape around the bridge of their glasses. Right, and, yeah. And they, they read a book, and, you know, this is kind of like, you know, they had kind of the attitude, why are you talking to me, you normal person? You know, whatever. Right. And that kind of attitude. But, yeah, they've always kind of existed. But, yeah, here was your, like, your first prototypical, yep. you know, soon-to-be nerd. You yep. could almost see Bill Gates, you know, yes. at 15. Yes, or oh, not even 15. The kid in this is more like 12. Yeah, uh, not even old enough to drive yet. No, 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 no. Not Still gets girl cooties, you know. We're not, <laughs> we, there isn't a hormone in this kid's body yet. Mm -hmm. 
but you know and what was so my and i and, and i've had this experience one other time there's a book i read that was written about the same time frame um that i have over the years essentially watched come true and that's where kind of the seeds of sci-fi tech talk got planted is like you know these guys some of them are just dead on i mean they're predicting the future i can't predict what's going to come out at wwdc next week um i can guess but i can't predict Hmm. and i sure as heck don't know what's going to be happening five years from now and these guys are are guessing you know 1987 that's 25 years ago Mm -hmm. um how on god's earth did they get so much right right um just blows my mind well, and you know, you, you know, I mentioned the blipverts about how they were trying to get people to watch uh, commercials. Well, and they don't have anything that you know necessarily evil now, but you know, you do watch television, and you do see that they're trying to slip in their advertising even during a show. Um, a couple of examples: I was watching uh, uh, the crossover episode between NCIS Los Angeles and Hawaii Five O, and they go to this one shot, and the camera pans up across the hood of the Chevy car, and then over to the actors back. I mean, I had to stop. Have they switched to a commercial? I mean, it was that oh, bad. You know, Fringe has done that a couple of times too, where you know it's like uh, the in the uh, in car. Uh, electronics and the Samsung phones and, you know, a few, few times it's just like, oh, you know, that just went over the line from being product placement to being product well, promotion, you know. Well, and probably the worst example I've ever seen, and I love the show, Warehouse 13, mm-hmm. but I mean, talk about bludgeoning somebody in the head with a commercial. Um, Claudia drives up in her Prius and she says, Artie, you need to buy one of these things because it's got solar panels in the roof and it gets incredible, get, you know, it's like a minute or so ad and I'm going, come on, really? I, you know, <laughs> I would have taken the blip for it and just had my body explode rather than watch. Yeah, really? And it's funny, too, because there's actually a lawsuit going on right now. I wanna, uh, Is it Dish TV Dish, or Dish Network, DirecTV? One of those two has got a device that they've uh, yeah. coming out with that basically will automatically skip the adverts. And, of course, the networks are up in arms over that. Oh. So this yeah. uh, idea of advertising. And the, and the idea, I mean, the... the, the the idea that uh, advertising was seen as the evil, um, my gosh, I don't know in 1987 if that was an well, issue like it is today. Well, you know, the networks back then still, I think the old joke, even up to that point, was they recorded their everything for the first half of the year, and then they just put it on a big roll of tape and played it the second half of the year. <laughs> because if, you, if you're old enough to remember, summer reruns was pretty much exactly what you watched during the wintertime. They would slip in a few specials once in a while, but, you know, and the nice thing was if you missed it then, you could catch it during the summer if you were home to watch it. But right. they didn't put a lot of uh, energy into uh, summer reruns. Well, and and the the ads too. Um, you know, there really wasn't a way to skip over them. They were, no. you know, they were that, there. And that uh, was bathroom breaks, or if right. you needed to well, raid the kitchen or something. But I believe there was a world record set at the last uh, episode of Mash. Where like uh, everybody in New York, you know, basically held it till the end of the show and then went to the bathroom and let, like the the entire city flushed the toilet at the same time and just absolutely killed, drained the water tanks, killed the water pressure. It was just like this huge thing, um, and we just we don't have that anymore. No. And and um, you know some of the other things that Max Headroom had that were dead on um, include. 
Oh, gosh. One of the first things I saw that I came across was tasers. Um, uh, Edison got tased at the beginning. Uh, he, he stumbled across this uh, collateral damage and um, got a little too oh, close yeah. for comfort. And the, and the authorities that were guarding you know, the, the crime scene um, tased him. Uh, and I was like, okay, that wasn't happening in 1987. No, that's right. And I, I did blow past that one because I guess it's become so commonplace. That one I never you know, even realized. But, yeah, you were right. Yeah, because back then it was like either stop or got shot with a, a pistol. They hadn't really come up with you know, non-lethal. You know, you'd, you'd have gotten nailed with a billy club. Yeah, that too. Yep. Uh, you know, fractured your skull or something yep. like that. So, yeah, that one I did miss. I guess I was looking at, you know, I guess I was concentrating on, like, the television part. Right. Uh, because, you know, one of the things that, you know, then the competition that the networks was having was from these rogue independent um, television stations. And I don't know if they got into it so much in that first episode, but I remember in later ones, and, you know, and their vision of uh, competition was these guys would have great big RVs, and they would stuff TV equipment into it, and then they would roll around, and then they would jack into the network to you know upload their shows or whatever. Um, but you know, you realize the equivalent of it now is you have somebody with an iPhone and a 3G connection, and he can run out and do basically the same thing. And if he wants to have some production quality, he'll load it to a computer, edit it, and then send it up. You don't need a great big RV full of equipment right. uh, and big cameras to do that. Yep. Yeah, and and that uh, video anywhere thing is a is a big thing, and and that's actually another thing that, that uh, Max Hedrum played into. Um, basically, the closed caption video or uh, closed circuit video, um, you know, the surveillance videos, which were both used for good and evil in the show. Um, every well, they were hacking. Everybody was kind of hacking into it. But um, Network 23 was hacking into it, as well as Edison's um, colleague, um, trying to direct him. Uh, you know, th- there was a there was a several scenes actually. It was a good chunk of the the episode where Edison was trying to track down this story, and so he was basically sneaking through a building, and the closed circuit TV was hacked into and accessible and, and ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And um, his colleague also had access to essentially 3D maps, blueprints, uh, layouts, floor layouts of these buildings as well. Now, they were somewhat, um, you know, 1980s. We're talking, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, they had well, a skeleton structures as opposed to like right now. Matter of fact, that's one of the things that is really coming of age is 3D mapping being photorealistic. That mm-hmm. was not in Max Headroom. But the idea that you could access a computer system and find the layout of a floor and know which apartments were being uh, occupied, which ones weren't, and what uh, locks were on and which cameras were on and, you know, those type of thing. Okay, that just wasn't happening in 1987 either. That's, that, it might mm-hmm. be, it, it's not that far off of what's going on now. Well, I mean, you take an episode of NCIS and put it beside Max Headroom, and NCIS has better graphics, but I mean, beyond that, the concepts are all the same. same. You got somebody there with the headset on, giving them directions on how to, you know, get to the bad guys or get out of there. Yep. 
like you say, with the mapping and with cameras everywhere. Um, yeah, like I say, if you just upgraded the graphics in Max Headroom, it would you could substitute it that part of it for you know any of the high tech uh, cop shows on TV. Yeah, and, and I just back in 1987, that just didn't. Mm-hmm. They had a heck of a crystal ball because they really did. Like I say, the the internet because and you know theirs was wired internet. You had to plug into the network, but still there was this you know uh, more or less omnipresent network that you could hook into. You could tap into information. Uh, you know, okay, they didn't get wireless, but I mean beyond that, they they got it pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I say just the the access for that kind of information. Right. And and speaking of information, too, and this is so true. As a matter of fact, I think I had a meeting earlier today where we were doing the exact same thing. The network was basically tuned into instant ratings data. It's mm-hmm. like, in the last two minutes, our ratings have gone down 2.3%. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, is that just so 2012? It's not 1987. It's 2012. Yeah, and you know the thing is, they were checking their ratings about as often as a person in a really boring meeting is checking their watch. It's right. like every, yeah. you know, every minute. And it's kind of yeah. They and in, in the show, some of these people literally live and die by the ratings. Right. Um, and sometimes, if they need better ratings, you might die. Um, you know, it's just that mentality of that of that show. But I mean, yeah, and really, I think if you talk. My belief, I have no way to prove it, but if you talk to some network executives, they would consider something like that if they could get a boost in their in their ratings. Oh, or, yeah. Or, or just look at the reality shows that we have on today. Um, the news channels, they're the ones that truly go on instant ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a reality show even has got to finish an episode. Uh, the news shows, truly, it's like, okay, let's switch to this story. No, let's switch to that story. Oh, that's boring. Let's sensationalize it and see if we can get the ratings up. Mm-hmm. You know. And, you know, I, I, I would... I'm tempted to get. They ha, do have uh, both seasons of Max Headroom on Amazon uh, on DVD, and I'm tempted to get it at some point so I could just relive some of that stuff. Um, and like you said, there was uh, uh, not only TV cameras everywhere, but I think there was like uh, TV sets everywhere. So there was always information being pumped right. to the people, and and their uh, version of propaganda too. So I mean it was always there, always present. Uh not unlike today where you know there's always computer screens everywhere, or there's always something vying for your attention trying to get you to watch it. Yep. And the idea of instant access to people as well because the the little kid hacker whatever his name is, I have to pay attention to people's names from now on, but um the the, the he was um Basically, video conferencing into the executive boardroom of the network, you know, they would have questions of him and he would respond and they would have this conversation. But, you know, that idea that um, you could instantly um, Skype <laughs> with, um, you know, somebody, uh, that just, you know, video, although the video call concept, I swear to God, it's almost 100 years old now. Um, we did. Well, they've- Way back in the 60s, weren't they predicting that everybody was going to do video calling? And um, Yeah, and the person who has bad hair and just got out of bed really wants to do a video call. But right. the idea has been around, I think, for quite a while in an actual practice. Not, well, I mean, you think about it. A lot of people, and me included, have an iPhone that can do FaceTime. I did it once, and I haven't done it again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I can. I just don't want to most of the time because, you know, yeah. But but there are times when, you know, um, 
certain times when people really find that useful. And believe it or not, one of the best uses I've I've seen of it is grocery shopping. You know, it's like, is this what you wanted? Oh. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So, but the, but the whole concept that, um, you know, that Max Hedrum was bringing out was this whole idea of being constantly plugged in, constant access to the network, constant access to whatever data or information you were interested in, or people, you know, whether it's a map of a building or the network ratings or being able to get a hold of an individual. I mean, there was a spot there in, in um, the episode where the network got, or the communications got jammed. And they were cut off for just a few moments. And, oh, gosh, did I recognize the, holy crap, I'm not connected, panic, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the world has come to an end. And Yeah. I, I mean, even at school, I've seen the Internet's down. People are just kind of wandering around because they don't quite know what, what to do. do. And, yeah. And, you know, even now, we're not to that point yet. But, I mean, even now, yeah, like I said, there's always the Internet. And, you know, I, I love my devices and I'm always pulling them out and looking at them but you know I could see how that could really become a you know a, a problem especially you know if we do get disconnected from the information and then we're left on our own how do we cope what do we do well and I've 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 got two responses to that one of which is you know if the internet's down at my job I just go home because my job is to be on the internet I mean I develop websites I have to be connected um, but I also remember the big y2k thing and um, in in the summer of 1999, I was in San Francisco out at Muir Woods, and we were trying to buy something at the gift shop, I believe, and their internet was down, and we we're like, oh, this is just a dry run for Y2K, you know, on, on New Year's Day, and you know, sure, they were having the line was getting a little long in the gift shop, but you know, everybody understood what the problem was, and you know, and after about five minutes, they're like. Oh, forget this. And they got out the old credit card swipe machine, you know, that chink-chink thing, oh. and um, started doing it by hand. And I'm like, you know, we're going to survive Y2K just fine regardless what happens. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you, you wind up adapting. So Right. And, you know, and I remember that uh, New Year's Eve, and, you know, we were pretty sure that nothing weird was going to happen. But my wife and I stayed up till midnight that night and we were watching TV and, you know, and we're, um, okay, midnight rolls are on. Let's see, lights are on. Uh, TV. He's working. I don't see any planes falling from the sky. Okay, let's go to bed. <laughs> you know, the one, the only thing I was concerned about for Y2K, which this is so interesting, um, was our VCR. Because at by the time the year 2000 rolled around, it was already, I don't know how many years old, but I figured it was old enough that it probably had early programming, and if anything was going to be affected, it was going to be that. Do you know what? We just hauled that sucker off to Best Buy for recycling like last week. <laughs> so oh. if it was old at Y2K, it was really old by the oh. time we got rid of it. My, you are merciful. I know. Well, and see, really, we really didn't worry that much because we didn't do much programming. Ours usually just blinked all the time because, you know, you have power glitches around here once in a while. It's like, after a while, why bother to set the time? So yeah. I just figured the, uh, the the programming part of it, you know, record. Remember VHS mm -hmm. tapes? Remember VHS? Oh yeah. Tapes? You know, yeah, record at seven o'clock on Friday night. See, and that's something Max Headroom did too. You didn't see a lot of that type of stuff. It was network. Right, and you had to watch it when it was on. Um, yeah, because I'm trying to remember. Yeah, we. Well, '86. Yeah, we didn't even have 
a VCR. No, maybe we did, but you know, it was still this you know great technology that you had, and um, yeah, and to be able to record stuff later or to watch later, that you know, even then was kind of a novel concept. Good lord, I just realized how old that VCR was that I just threw out because I think we probably bought it um, right around 1987. For because with small kids, it was like, I can't watch this now, I, I don't want to miss it. So, you know, right, that was the incentive for starting to record things. And you and you know, you look at today now, I mean, I've got another computer over here that I've installed software on, and it's become my personal DVR. Because, like, when I work the night shift at school, I can just record shows, I can come back, and the nice thing is, it has a commercial skipper in it, which must drive the networks crazy, because right. then I can skip past the commercials and watch all my shows. Or the other thing is, too, you know, you know, kind of getting back to the network part of uh, Max Headroom and the Internet and stuff. Now you don't even necessarily have to have a TV or cable to watch shows because I'm getting to the point where I'm considering just, you know, cutting the cable or cutting everything except local broadcast TV and then watching all my shows on the Internet whenever I watch or want to. Yep, I have been there and done that, and I just recently, just a couple months ago, installed cable TV again. And I'll tell you what, I'm about ready to uninstall it again, but I'm going to wait till after the Olympics. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a big draw. But... Yeah, that's, it's the live sports that is the only thing that I can't get on the Internet that I care about. Um, and, and for me, sports, I'm not that big a sports fan, so yeah. it's really no downside for me. As long, and I've, I think I've checked, and most of the shows I want are on um, uh, the Internet somewhere. Yeah. And I've got a few, um, like maybe XBMC or uh, something like that, that will go out and find the shows for you. So you can just kind of go down and, you know, I want to watch this and, yeah. you know, and watch your shows. And it's getting almost painless. And some of those, there's no commercial interruptions in them at all. Yep. And so you can just watch the whole show. And I, I realize that for a TV, uh, you know, I've been kind of bagging on the TV networks here, but I realize they do need to have advertisers and people watch them to make money. Right. But sometimes... Um, it just gets watching commercials just drive you crazy. Yeah. So now, and maybe that should push them to make more creative uh, commercials because there are times when I am, um, you know, watching the the DVR and watching stuff, and a commercial does catch my eye, and I will watch it. So you know. Well, you maybe- know, and to be honest, being TV free for a while, there are commercials that become. Uh, cultural touch points it's like did you see the the volkswagen commercial with the kid being darth vader it's like okay youtube quick find me this because no i haven't seen that commercial you know well and and you know the first commercial i ever remember having that sort of sensation and i don't know if you're old enough to remember it and i don't know if they had it up there in north dakota but it was the uh, old home bread uh, commercials with um i think it was cw mccall um, as a trucker going into this diner and kind of, it was a series of commercials about, um, you know, him kind of having this, establishing this um, repertoire with the waitress in there and the eventually I think they got married, but you know, that was creative uh, advertising um, yeah. that kind of caught and held your attention. Well, you know, and, and taking that back to Max Headroom, those blipverts that um, were, were in there um, that you didn't really get a clear picture of what they were other than, you know, if you can imagine um, stuff coming at you faster and you can take it in. Or a videotape running at about ten times speed with right. everything just blinking and flashing. Yeah. Um, you wonder, there, well, you know, I'm good God, well, I'm about ready to defend advertising here, but there are some, you know, 
there's some definitely memorable ads and there's some creativity in there and some products that you know I wouldn't know about if it weren't for the ads I probably wouldn't have stumbled and I would certainly wouldn't remember them um, so you know it, it serves a purpose but the idea that the the idea that ads are simply to, to cram stuff into your head um, and I suppose the end result of that besides exploding is that you would buy things um, boy that just seems to yeah I think they were working on the idea of you know subliminal suggestions influence you and I don't know how big it's possible, but you know, I don't know if it, they could base the whole advertising industry on it. But uh, yeah, and you, you know, how effective is that stuff flying at you at at that speed? Yeah, well, you know, to be honest, too, some of the better advertisers have begun to understand that we um, fast forward to the ads, and you can tell that they're starting to design them for that. They have uh, uh, is going fast forwarding through them. You can still some ads haven't caught on, and you're not quite sure what the heck that was all about. And other ads, they they have caught on to the idea that you're fast forwarding through them, and you know their product will show up for several seconds, which means even at fast forwarding, you get a glimpse of it, you know, and and contact information and that kind of stuff as well. You know, might might be throughout the entire ad at the top of the screen or something, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the the whole technology of advertising um, is is interesting as well. Well, I mean, yeah, that's why they've gone to product placement in shows and um, and you know, if you don't think too much about most of it's not too bad. But you know, like a couple of those examples that I cited, where you know, it's just almost blatant in your face. You know, that's getting going a little too far. But I, you know, if they put it in there, and if you recognize it, that's fine. Because uh, I know that they got to have money to produce these shows it's got to come from somewhere, somewhere. yeah yeah so. and i'm and i'm willing to be you know flexible but let's not you know the the sledgehammer approach right over the top and max headroom played into the uh evil evil uh, corporate board you know greed whatever <laughs> quite well um, oh, oh yeah i think that's how we envision a lot of uh corporations like that and uh you know just kind of a bunch of soulless beings in there whose uh basic purpose is the bottom line uh, or the term that i've kind of come to really uh dislike is you know it's your fiduciary responsibility to produce as much money as you can for the company and you know taking that logic far enough you know if chai child labor wasn't illegal you would be almost legally uh responsible to exploit that to make money for the company and you know that's just kind of the way that i think we a lot of people feel about corporations in this country well to some extent it's actually written into the law because uh, if you are a publicly traded company your number one responsibility is to provide a return to your stockholders so yeah it's yeah. uh you cannot uh it's a it's an ugly Catch twenty two. It's well, and, and I get it. I mean, you want, if I have money invested in the company, I want to make sure the people managing it are doing it right. But right. It, it's kind of like when you throw common sense out the window, then you know all bets are off. And yeah, like I say, that's the way I think a lot of people kind of feel about some of these companies that they're just money grubbing and they're going to do whatever. And okay, a few people explode while watching our shows. That's small loss. You know, as long as viewership uh, goes up. And yeah, they fed right into that. And I think, you know, even like you say, 25 years later, I think a lot of us still feel like uh, uh, some of these people are just bottom line. That's it. You know, who cares? Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's interesting in, the, in that 25 years, 
that may have uh, waxed and waned a little. I mean, there was a time when, you know, Wall Street bankers were kind of, uh, I don't want to call them heroes, but people wanted to be them when they grew up type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now, <laughs> I'm not so sure that's the case. Well, um, I think I think the, the greed is good. Uh, what was that movie? I yeah, think Wall Street. Wall Street. It, yeah, that mentality has kind of taken over. Um, yeah, and uh, let's say... Yeah. In the 25 years, I think it took over, and then I think it got uh, demonized. And, you know, like anything that swings like that, reality is probably somewhere in between. But, uh, it again, going back to the absolute crystal ball, clear crystal ball that Max Hedrum um, apparently had, it, um, you know, it, it just kind of blows my mind. Yeah, and, and, and like I say, you know, I, I'd kind of forgotten about it for a while, and then um, I was um, listening to uh, a frame rate on the Twit Network, and they were talking about the, you know, the networks and viewership, and uh, all these things competing against networks for viewership, and you know, some of the things that they do to get people to watch. I'm going, there's something familiar about this whole thing, and then you know, suddenly I remembered Max Headroom, and, and I had the same, you know, uh, thing that you did. It's, it's like wow, these people, you know, before the internet, before, um, you know, podcasting, um, a lot of these things, um, they had already kind of predicted it. I'm going, okay, mind blown. Um, Because they nailed it, like you said. Well, and one of the things that I think, one of the roles, actually, that I think science fiction plays is, I hate to say the creation of the future, but, you know, until Star Trek, and I'll go back to that example, came along and envisioned communicators and library discs that you slid into a slot and, you know, these types of things, we didn't really have them. You know, and about 10 years later, suddenly we have floppy disks, we have mobile phones, um, you know, until somebody... You know, imagine that, even though they didn't have the science necessarily behind it, um, the scientists couldn't come around and, you know, actually make it happen. Yeah, I think science fiction provides the target for science to aim at yeah. or to reach. Because um, I read the uh, the book Molten God's Eye by Jerry Pornell and he, uh, back then, and he didn't really have... Uh, anything to base it on, but he was just talking about a pocket computer because these people are always pulling this out and writing on their computer and making notes and this kind of stuff. And, you know, basically, and this was written, I believe, in the 60s or thereabouts, you know, he predicted the cell phone that everybody, you know, it's just innocuous today. It's everywhere. Everybody uses it. Uh, and like I say, he didn't have anything to base it on. Some of these, uh, and I think you've mentioned it in some of your other episodes, that, you know, they get the idea uh, right, but the tech wrong. Because, like I was saying, with the uh, the rogue uh, uh, TV stations, they had this great big RV. Well, the same thing can be accomplished now with a, a cell phone. So the idea was right, but I, yeah, I think you guys said that they kind of take the technology of the day and try to envision it in the future. Right. You know, in Max Headroom, correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, it was it was in te- it was aimed at kids. It was a kids show. Well, you see, it was actually uh, what we were watching was a um, 
the American version of the British uh, show. I think that was called Max Headroom 20 Minutes into the Future. I think that was its title. And I did run across uh, some of those, uh, the British version, in uh, YouTube. And, uh, no, you wouldn't want the kids watching that one because their yeah. language was a little you know, colorful, let's say. Well, and the whole idea that people blow up from watching blip yeah. is not age-appropriate for six-year-olds, you know? Well, but remember Bugs Bunny and, well, that, uh, yeah. yeah, but, you know, this was, you know, that was cartoon, this is real people, but, right. yeah, I would say, well, let's aim it at maybe the, the teens, well, back then it probably really was the uh, the young adults, the teens that they were aiming it at, because, you know, most, you know, our parents would have looked at it, and what is that nonsense you're watching right. that makes no sense, so I think it was aimed at more the younger group that did, um, you know, like us, that did grow up reading science fiction, uh, the or the, the comic books, the um, all that kind of stuff, and the Star Trek stuff, and they knew that we would get it and and embrace it, and you know, and just you know, fall in love with it. And you know, it only lasted two seasons, but I you know, I did love that show, and I was sad when it went off because it did um, you know that was even though it was it's always the dark future that these people are envisioning. But, you know, it was those kind of things that I did want to have, the connection to the Internet, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, knowledge at your fingertips, all this kind of stuff. Right. It's, it's a, you know, if for those folks who may have never possibly even heard of Max Headroom or have only heard of it and not seen it, I'd really encourage you to, to go out and take a look at this. Uh, uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes to the uh, first portion of the first episode and of course when you finish that you can go i think there's three parts to it um but you know for i don't know it probably winds up being 45 minutes worth of viewing it really does you know i mean you could you could easily walk into a um, video studio right now and and today in 2012 um and and think you know the the one that's portrayed in max headroom would be very um, familiar almost almost identical i mean it's it's crazy how much of that stuff is is um accurate 25 years later so it's it's uh it's an interesting show and it, and the i was glad that um I, I got a chance to look at the first episode because it does i'd i i i'd forgotten uh, to some extent the character max headroom became the cultural phenomenon not necessarily the story or the show um but this idea of max headroom being this talking glitchy stuttering you know um uh, talking head on right. a computer on on a screen on a tv screen even um was the cultural um thing that you know the takeaway from the show if if you'd yeah. never seen the show you knew that max headroom was this you know stuttering head on a on a screen and you know in rather a perverse turn they then did they did then turn around and use it for advertising i think coke, coke. was one of the yep. and you know talk about just kind of a weird turn of events <laughs> yeah. but and you know anybody growing up here this is max headroom you know um in that on max fewer um you know who's gone on to do other things and you know still on tv you know that's one of those things he'll probably be best known for is that weird yeah like say weird glitchy uh off centered off kilter type character well hey i gotta say thank you for for uh 
uh, calling out Max Headroom because, like I say, this is not something I don't think I would have ever thought of to do uh, an episode on, and it was just absolutely dead-on perfect. To to be perfectly honest, the last couple episodes we've been doing, we've kind of hit on on science fiction stories that are absolute classics but not a lot of technology in them or the technology was very much set in the time period that they were um, written or or filmed or whatever whereas Max Headroom um, just totally you you want you want to talk about technology we could actually dig into this and get you know talk about a specific technology in in the show uh, um, probably for an hour <laughs> you know how how the 3d mapping you know how is how is it portrayed in max headroom and where does it come in 25 years and what are we doing with it now and that kind of stuff and and we could go on and on so there was just tons of it in there so well, i'm glad i was able to you know give give you something to sink your teeth into here and get everybody hopefully excited about yeah yeah, because uh, I'm with you as far as, you know, until this stuff is um, envisioned, you know, and, and, when, and when it is envisioned, people get excited about it, and that's what helps create it. You know, if you were 13, 14-year-olds old when Max Headroom came out, and you're looking at the little kid who's kind of the, the evil genius, and uh, but still the genius, you're like, hmm, I want to be like that, or hmm, I really want that technology you know and and i can tell you that i know there are people that have grown up to become scientists and engineers because of something they'd seen in science fiction i mean i there's many of them most of them perhaps even so okay i think we're gonna wrap up uh, talking about max headroom here um Next time, Jeff, for everybody's information too, Jeff's on, uh, he's traveling this week, which is why we, we had a guest come in, and I do believe he'll be back next week to talk about Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And boy, there's one that i got to do some homework on, because other than um, probably references to it made in Bugs Bunny or something, um, I know nothing about it, so <laughs> be looking at that one. Um, and Mike, I can't thank you enough again for uh, uh, stepping in and being a guest here today and, um, you know, picking such a fabulous topic. Oh, my pleasure. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can always check us out at scifitechtalk.com, scifitechtalk.com. Yes, yeah, say that three times fast. Or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. And if you have ideas or comments or any other really cool shows like this that you think we should be talking about, please send them to Sci-Fi Tech Talk at gmail.com. And uh, reviews on iTunes are always welcome. And I hear we actually have one. Woohoo! So <laughs> more or better. Um, Mike, where can folks uh, find you in cyberspace? Well, I've gotten about uh, dot me page at uh, uh, about dot me slash Mike McPeak. And then I also have a, um, a blog where I like to take photos and uh, write um, stories or make comments about things. And that can be found at mmcpeak.blogspot.com. Awesome. And I can be found on about.me as well, uh, about.me slash Julie Keel, J-U-L-I-E-K-U-E-H-L. And I'm always on Twitter, it seems like, <laughs> which is also at Julie Keel. So that's going to be it for this show, and we'll see you in the future. <laughs>